that we will hear your voice, that we will understand you more fully, that we will experience you in new ways. So God, speak to us this morning. And for the things of life that are distracting us and weighing us down and uh, pulling us in different directions this morning, God, we pray that we will be free from that and then it will be just us and you right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Russians meddling in American affairs is not new news. Uh, It may be Facebook ads of late, but uh, it goes much further back than that. A long history of espionage and battle between the two countries. Uh, this, This desire to get outsiders on the inside and insiders onto the out or into the outside so that we can exchange information and get information at the right time in the right place this is the battle of the spy world an example would be aldrich ames who was this mid-level bureaucrat in the cia who who had this this job in the CIA, and, and he found out that there could be an incredibly uh, profitable payoff for sharing secrets with the Russians. And so he, over the course of nine years, uh, received $2.5 million from the KGB for sharing inside information sharing what was going on. And apparently nobody from the CIA actually uh, questioned why he could drive a Jaguar or own a half a million dollar home on a $70,000 government salary. Uh, But somehow he got away with this for nine years. And for the Russians, this was money well spent. Uh, The amount of information that they were able to collect over the years allowed them to find moles within their own ranks uh, and, and imprison or execute these double agents that were, were Russians trying to help the Americans. And so there were all these double agents uh, crossing one another, sharing secrets. But Ames' world fell apart in 1994 when he was finally arrested uh, with his wife, who was an accomplice in this, and both were sent to prison for spying. So espionage can be a very lucrative career. If some of you are looking for a raise, um, it's profitable. Um, But then there's also this value of disinformation. So the information that he was able to provide the Russians was incredibly valuable. But disinformation or the wrong information at the wrong time can be just as valuable. So in World War II, there were British intelligence officers who had Operation Mincemeat. And Operation Mincemeat is where they took a cadaver and dropped him in the ocean in the Mediterranean Sea with documents that looked like Allied battle plans. It was complete with ID and uh, pictures and, and things that created this whole character that said, this is what our plan was. The problem is it wasn't the plan. And so the, the Germans pick up this body with these plans for battle, and they adjust, adjust all of their plans because of this information that they have received, which is actually wrong information. And so in times of warfare, it is important to have the right inside information. It's important to have uh, good disinformation. 
telling somebody the wrong thing, but making them think it's the right thing. Both sides are working to get the best information. And so today we have this story of espionage and deceit. We have a story of brothels and prostitution. We have stories of kings and warriors. And this is not the plot of a James Bond movie. This is Joshua chapter 2. This fascinating story. And the more you dig into it, the more bizarre it starts to get. So let's just read through in Joshua chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. All right, we're just going to pause there for a minute. This is the introduction of our story. Joshua sends two unnamed spies to go check out the land, and they find themselves in a brothel. I'm not sure what exactly Joshua's instructions were. We know that in Joshua 1, God has promised that they would be successful. And so I'm not really sure why Joshua is even sending spies, because he already knows the outcome. So there's a little bit of mystery here as to, to what leadership Joshua is, is having here. He's already been there. He was one of the 12 spies. He knows what is the lay of the land, but he sends two spies anyway. So is he playing it safe? Does he lack faith? Is he nervous? Is his faith not strong enough to be able to just boldly go and claim the land that God has promised them? And then there's these two spies who are given these very ambiguous instructions of go look over the land, and so they find themselves in a brothel. Maybe this is the best place to find information about wartime strategies. Maybe they're in the right place. Maybe they're in the wrong place. But whatever they're up to, they're not very good at blending in. They have not disguised themselves well. And so we continue the story. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some Israelites have come here to spy at night to spy out the land. All right, disguise is blown. So the king of Jericho sent his me this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. The king knows what's going on. <laughs> no disguises here. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them, quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Okay, so the spies are supposed to be gaining information about their enemy, and they're now cornered. They have been discovered, and they're in this hiding place. And if it wasn't for the deceit and the quick thinking of Rahab, they would have been caught, 
and the story would be over. But we have another double-crossing agent here, where Rahab tells her king and her people a lie about what's going on. And she says, yes, they were here, but they, they have left. And so if you'll go run after them quickly, you will be able to catch them. All while she is hiding these outsiders in Jericho. And so there is this fascinating turn of events of whose side is on, who's on whose side. One of those movies where we don't really know who is playing which side. You have these outsider spies that are going into Jericho and they're trying to get insider intel. Then you have Rahab, who is an insider of Jericho, who is actually helping those on the outside, but she's just barely on the inside because she's a prostitute. She's on the fringe of society. She's not really a part of what's going on there, but she's tolerated, just not respected. And so she double crosses her own people and sides with the spies. She hides them. She lies about their location and leads them with disinformation into another direction. And so what is Rahab up to here? We continue in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the, uh, before the, spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Remember that, melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, Red sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to, to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. So we've heard about what you did, what God did, in the Israelites being freed from Egypt. And we've heard about what you've done on the eastern side of the Jordan. We've, see, we've heard of the battles that you have won. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and that you will save, from, uh, save us from death. And so we've got this, this strange turn of events here, where Rahab has heard of what God has done. She knows him by reputation. She, she makes this incredible confession of who he is. And then she starts to strike up a deal. She negotiates. She is trying to get freedom and safety and salvation for her family. And so she makes this deal with them to let her live. And the spies respond with this, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. They're backed into a little bit of a corner, not sure that they have much of a choice here. But they make her this promise that she will be 
spared in the attack on Jericho. So she let them down by a rope through a window, for the house she lived on was part of the outside city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now it's interesting that the spies here are not the ones making any decisions or plans. All the things that they have done have failed. Rahab is the one giving all the instructions. Even in how to escape, she's the one giving instructions to the spies. Now, when you get out of the city, you need to go hide for three days, let everything settle down, and then you can make your way back to your camp. But here's one piece that the spies do add to the story. Verse 17. Now the men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when you enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the streets, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in this house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied a scarlet cord in the window. And so this concludes this scene of, of the spies going into Jericho, trying to get a lay of the land. They're almost caught, and Rahab is, is their only chance of survival. And this promise is made to Rahab that her family will be saved if they hang this scarlet cord outside of her window. And then the whole story wraps up with this very brief conclusion in verse 22. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. She was right. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua and told him everything that had happened to them. And now here's their intelligence report. Here's what they say. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. This is their report. Do these words sound familiar? Who else said this? They're just quoting Rahab and saying that the Lord has surely given this whole land to you, and the people are melting in fear. This is their message back to Joshua. Rahab's the one who makes this claim, points this out for them, and this is the message that they take back. And so it's through Rahab that God is encouraging his people, sending them a message that says, you've got this. I've got this. I already told you I've got this. The land is yours. The people are in fear of me. They have seen what God has done. They know him by reputation. The land is yours for the taking. And so this story gives us just this, this encouragement that says, God is speaking 
God is encouraging. God has a message. And he uses the least likely outsider to speak. The ones that we would not expect. And so how is it that we, we look at the story... Going through Joshua is a challenge for us because these, these stories are, are difficult to process through. And then how do we apply these to messages for us today? What, what is God speaking to us through these stories? And so for us, Rahab really becomes this example of an outsider. We see this insider versus outsider play going back and forth. And Rahab becomes this this character, this outsider for us. She has this outside status, but yet God uses her and works with her. This is a woman who has heard of the acts of God for the sake of his people. And she has this confidence in him, this faith in him. She's heard of their deliverance from Egypt. She has heard of the victory on the eastern side of the Jordan and it's through that reputation that she is able to say with confidence, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She's the only one in this story that is acknowledging who God is. She is confident that God is God in heaven above. Now, she's not yet willing to say that he is my God, but there is this faith blooming in her that says, he is God. I see his reputation. I see what he has done. And so as we think about the outsider versus outside, the outsider versus insider, who is the outsider? As we look at the story here, as we look at the story throughout Scripture, we see that the, the outsider is someone who in the Old Testament is outside of Israel, not a part of God's chosen people. In the New Testament, we, we see the outsider as, as someone who is outside the kingdom of God. There are people who do not have a relationship with him, a people who are not part of the chosen these are the outsiders. Paul talks about the outsiders in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, an outsider. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so Paul describes what an outsider is that these early believers had lives that were outside of the chosen, outside of the family of God. These Gentile converts stood outside the in-group. They did not have the, the physical sign of membership. They didn't have the inclusion. They were separate. They were excluded. They were foreigners. They were without hope. 
This is how Paul describes them. There were these huge barriers that that keep them from entering into the kingdom of God. It was impossible for them to enter into the kingdom of God because of their classification. And so the day the spies enter into Rahab's house, she has these huge disqualifications that separate her from God's people. She's not qualified to be included in what God is doing with Israel. She is not a part of the chosen. She is a Canaanite woman. She is a part of the people who are condemned to death. These are the ones that God has said to get rid of. This is the group that she's a part of. In addition to her ethnicity, she is also a woman, which gave her a huge social disadvantage. And not only was she a woman, but she appears to be unmarried and childless, which puts her in a different classification. And then even worse than that, she's a prostitute. And since it's her house, she is probably the owner of the brothel. So here is this woman who is on the outside of the outside of the outside and literally living in the walls of the city on the fringe of Jericho. And so could this woman be any more disqualified to be an insider? Could she be any more disqualified to be a part of the family of God? Yet in this story, Rahab is the only person with a name. The spies don't have a name. The king doesn't have a name. Rahab is named in this story and carries this important role throughout the story. She's the one with the bright ideas. She's the one that's quick thinking. She's the one that's protecting the spies and protecting the plan. And so we see her as someone who is incredibly disqualified, but raised up in a position of honor in the telling of this story. And she's used by God to communicate with his people, saying, I've got this. It's through Rahab that they're encouraged, that their faith is strengthened, that they are reminded that, yes, God can handle this. It's through Rahab that they hear a communication from God. And then in Joshua 6, we see that that Jericho does in fact fall, and Rahab and her family are spared, and it says that she continued to live among them. Now imagine Rahab living among the Israelites, this disqualified outsider, with the line of work that she has, the family reputation that she has, She's spared when Jericho falls. She could move on and go anywhere, but she stays with the family. And she becomes an insider. She becomes part of the family. She's not mentioned again in the Old Testament, but in Matthew, she's included in the royal lineage of Christ. That she is a part of the family of Christ. In Hebrews 11, she's included in the the list of those who are faithful, this hall of fame of, of all those who have been faithful, and she is listed as being faithful. In James chapter 2, it says that she is considered righteous for what she has done when she gave lodging to the spies. 
She has been made righteous. She has been brought pulled. She has been brought into the family. Who the one who was an outsider is now an insider. She's a part of the family. And so, as we wrap up this morning, let's look at a few things that we can learn from Rahab. What does it mean to be an outsider? How do we respond to the outsider? What lessons can we learn from her? As we look at this story. The first, the first one here to observe is that we need to celebrate the idea that God is working in many ways in many people. Rahab was the least likely that God should be working with. But God is working in people in ways that we cannot even imagine. And so we need to celebrate that. We need to look for that. We need to have eyes for that of how God is moving in people's lives. Using them and transforming them and molding them into insiders. And so we need to expand our expectations of what it means to be used by God. We need to open up our eyes and expand our expectations and and see what God is doing in others. To see that he is on the move, even when it doesn't fit into our box, even when it doesn't fit into what we have experienced or what we're comfortable with or what we've seen work or what we've not seen work. That God is at work in these strange places. Another thing we have to do in line with that is we have to work hard at getting past our first impressions. Like get past what we see on the outside. I'm really not sure why those spies were at the brothel. I don't know what was going on there. But we have to get past the outside appearances and see everyone as a person who Jesus died for. We look past the external and see with the eyes of Jesus. A third thing is that God has, God, God has people on a journey somewhere. That we're all on a journey, we're all in progress, and none of us have yet arrived to our final destination. And so we look at others and say how they are today is not how they will be tomorrow. It's not how they were yesterday. That we are all in these journeys of movements. And I don't want to be held to the standard of who I was years ago. I want to be held to a standard of who I'm becoming now. And so we look at one another and we can become critical of one another to say, ah, look at, look at this thing that they're struggling with. Ah, that's, that's easy stuff. Why are they having such a hard time with that? But God is moving in each of us and we're all moving at different paces, different parts of our journey. And so... God was working through Rahab and where she was currently at and what she was currently doing was not the end of her story. It was not the conclusion to her story. She had a long journey after that and is celebrated as a person of faith, not as a prostitute. Four, God continues to pursue outsiders to draw them in. God is in pursuit 
of people. He's in pursuit of all of us, and he's in pursuit of all those who are not yet a part of the family. And so he is in pursuit of others. We need to be in pursuit of others. That the church is not a closed-door, members-only social club, but we are in pursuit of the outsider, working to draw them in to the family of God, demonstrating his love, demonstrating his grace, demonstrating his mercy and his compassion. And then finally, we have to be reminded that we were outsiders. That in this dichotomy of inside versus outside, some of us feel like we've always been on the inside. But we're outsiders. We're outsiders who had to hang that cord, that crimson cord, outside of our window so that we could be rescued and so that we could be saved. And so do we remember that? That we hang that crimson cord outside of our windows saying, I cannot save myself. Someone else is going to have to have grace to save me. My salvation is dependent on them being good to their word to say the people that are in that house will be saved. And I imagine as the battle of Jericho is is going on, Rahab and her family are in this house looking out this window and wondering, will they be good to their word? Because this dumb little rope hanging out of the window sure doesn't seem like it's going to save much. But the promise was made, and the promise was delivered on. And so it is her faith in God, a God who is the God of heaven above and the earth below. She has faith in him, and it is that faith that saves her. As she hangs that red cord out of the window. As Paul said in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Blood of Christ. We're brought into the family. We were outsiders. And we're brought in. 